Last week, I started with a story that growing up as a kid, we'd go to Walmart and go through the toy section and my parents slapped me if I wanted to pick up one of these suckers, right? You can play with all this other thing, but don't you stay away from those eight balls. Those are the gateway drug to the Ouija board. And, uh, you know, and, and really it was, it was probably, it was, a, it was probably an unhealthy fear, but the truth is little bitty things can become big things. We'll talk that about that more, but there was a lot of stuff on television about different things, including the eight ball and the eight ball. Uh, if you were to pick this up and live your life uh, uh, by it, why would you do that? <laughs> But the idea is there, there are, are 10 affirmative responses. Uh, there are five, uh, you know, non-committal responses and 10 uh, negative responses. So how, how, how the cowboy is gonna do today? I'm not gonna read that out loud. <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be great if we could say, what should I do? How should I do? And by the shake of a hand and the look of some kind of toy, you know, you might be able to live life like that. I promise you, you're not going to get very far. But what we started with last week was this series. And listen, oh, if you were, were not with us this last Sunday, it's not because uh, uh, of me, but because of what I believe the Lord is wanting to say to our church in this season of time for 2017, for you and your friends, your relatives, your associates, your neighbors, this is a critical series for us to move through 2017, understanding the best question we should ask. You need to ask it, not ask the eight ball, ask the best question. What if there was a question you could ask that would appropriately address 90% of your of, of life's questions and you could live with less tears less regrets and more confidence what if there was a question that you could ask well there is and it's all throughout scripture this idea isn't is it new to me it didn't come forward in my brain I I, I listened to a podcast from a pastor and 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 he wrote the book ask it uh, the series of, of the same name and uh, we've actually ordered that book It's by Andy Stanley it's in our cafe aroma if you want to pick up a copy for a much more more deeper thought, but we're going to take it a little bit different direction, that one major question. And here is the question. In light of my past experiences, what I've experienced over here, I touched the stove and it was hot. And I said, I'm not going to do that again. In light of my current circumstances, I need a new car. My credit score is seven. Okay. All right. What, 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 uh, but I need a new car. I need a new car. And I love the smell of leather. In light of my future hopes and dreams, where I want to go, what I want to accomplish, what I want to sacrifice today so I can enjoy tomorrow, in light of the past, in light of current circumstances, and in light of my future hopes and dreams, the question we should all be engaging is this question. Ready? Say it out loud with me. Let's do it. What is the wise thing to do? We live in a culture that is absolutely uh, submerged, immersed into choices. Back in the day, there weren't very many choices of where you can get a hamburger, and now the sky is the limit. Choices on everything from who's going to be your internet provider to how many channels you're going to have on the TV to what phone because of this and that and the laser and the galaxy and the universe and, and the eye this and the eye that. I mean, choices, choices, choices. And wisdom helps us make the right choices in those decisions in life that uh, it's not about being a good person, 
a moral person or even a knowledgeable person because you can have two choices that have no uh, immoral value. They are amoral. They, they, it can be whichever one, but wisdom helps you engage. There's a job that you can take. There's two job offers on the line. Okay, this one and this one. You know, it's not like one is, you know, a cashier and one's a stripper, okay? It's not like you have this moral choice here. That one wasn't in the first service, so just, just, uh, so, or whatever else it, you might have ever been faced with, okay? So, so it, it's to take the job in Lufkin or to move to Tyler, okay? It doesn't sound like it's an immoral deal, okay? Wisdom helps us understand the nuances, the insight, the prudence, the, the strategic thinking behind what's the best, the wise thing to do in light of where I've been, where I am and where I'm going. That's what wisdom is. And last week we talked about wisdom in Proverbs chapter one, what I just said, insight, seeing more than one opportunity when others may only see one way. Other people say that, that this is the only way you can do that. And you say, well, maybe, maybe there's two or three options. Maybe there's nine options here. Wisdom helps us engage that. And it not only see options, but then solve the option to be able to have uh, strategic steps and you can have knowledge and not have wisdom. You can be intelligent and be dumb when it comes to wise choices. You, you can have, but you cannot have wisdom without knowledge. It's this, it's this interesting combination. You know what else? You can be a good, moral, knowledgeable person and be stupid in decisions you make. But wisdom wants to take you beyond making a port. How many of you seen that? They love Jesus, but they choose the wrong guy to date. Anybody ever, no, don't raise your hand. <laughs> you're like, mm. And you're like, your husband's next to you. You're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. What's the wise thing to do? Now we talked about insight and prudence last week. Today, I'm gonna to give you a different definition of wisdom. All right. A different definition that we're gonna unpack through the scriptures we read together aloud as we were standing at the end of worship. Wisdom is this, write it down on your notes, if you will. Competence in regards to the realities of life. Last week, I talked to you about the place where you start getting wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, not a negative fear, afraid of what he might do to hurt you. Some people take that fear, it's a paradox of fear. There are people that you're afraid of, afraid of what you, they might say to you if you were honest with them, if you were, you were vulnerable with them. And if I tell them I've been thinking this, they're gonna, they're gonna slap me across the face with the belt. You, you, you have that fear there of the employee, the employer or spouse, or you, you, you name it. It can be a fear. It's a negative fear. It's an unhealthy fear. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's not the beginning of wisdom. The fear that the Bible's talking about there is this, is like I showed with the little baby in my hands, little 10 week old Tori, that when Jana and I first had Sage, we were afraid to even put her in, in, in water, like in a bathtub to give her a bath. We trembled at the first bath. Any moms or dads ever been there like that, right? You remember, you remember? It's like, whoo, you know, it's not like you just grab them, by, you know, just dunk them. <laughs> if you did, come talk to me after service. <laughs> Spirit of slap. But, but no, 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 you, you, you're not afraid of the baby. You're afraid of what you might do to, to hurt the baby. 
You're not trembling because of what they might do to hurt you. You're, you're afraid of what you might do to hurt them. And when it comes to the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, it's this caution in life. It's this reserve that there's nothing I want to do in my life and the decisions I make and the life I live and the words I speak and the places I go where my feet may trod. I wouldn't want to do anything that would dishonor God, that would, that would grieve God. Do you know that, that God is full of emotion? Where do you think you got your emotions? He is ultimate personhood. God can grieve like a widow next to a casket. And when you live your life unaware of this reverence or trembling before God, not because you're afraid of him, for him might smite thee, because you never, you just wouldn't want to hurt him. You wouldn't want to grieve him. That's the beginning. And as we begin to understand that everything we do in life starts with a complete surrender in Jesus and relationship with him, we start to take the path of the wise. But wisdom, our definition today is competence, the skills to pay the bills in regards to the realities of life. Anybody ever uh, known someone, they are living in an alternate reality. Like they think money grows on trees, right? Some of you, they are your children living in an alternate universe, okay? Wisdom gives us the skills to understand the true realities of life, not what we assume is real, not what we can only see with the blinders on, but it gives us competence to be able to handle the realities of real life. So what I wanna to talk to you about are three places today. I wanna to talk about the place wisdom develops. I wanna talk about the vehicles in that place that we need to engage, vehicles we need to buckle into. And then third, the catalyst that turbocharges wisdom the catalyst that fuels them all. That's where we're headed today. So let's start with number one, the place wisdom develops. We go back to our scripture and in Proverbs three, verses one through eight on verse five, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your what straight? Paths straight. This whole idea of pathway and paths is, all, is, is weaved throughout scripture from, the, from the, the paths of the righteous and the wicked to the, the wide road and the narrow road to um, the, the, the word being a, a lamp and, and a light that guides that we would go through the valley of the shadow of death on a path, but I'll fear no evil for you are with me. There, that life is a pathway. Life is just a, it, it, it's, it's a walk. And the first thing we need to know as you taking your notes Wisdom develops on the slow and steady pathway of life. You cannot cram, as I said last week, you cannot cram for wisdom. You can't stay up all night and read 47 chapters of the Bible and come out and it's like, oh, character. It takes time. It's a slow and steady pathway. And a pathway is something that you walk. You run on a track, you walk on the path. And it's a state, do you, do you know that even the greatest, strongest super athletes can walk a whole lot further than they can run? They may be able to break a four minute mile, but if they're consistent, they can walk much further than they could ever run. And the more they walk and the more they train, actually the further they can go, the further they can go. You know, uh, 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 years ago, I did my first marathon. 
and, and my first half Ironman. And Ironman's a 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike, and then a 13.1 mile uh, half marathon at the end. And I know what you're thinking. How could a body like that? Okay, all right, back off. Haters gonna hate. How could a body like that, like do anything like that? Well, I didn't have the body I have today. <laughs> but you know, it, my, our 10th year anniversary, we are, we're, we're, we're 16 years into this thing. It's been, the, it's been 13 incredible years. 16 total. <laughs> um, three of those were like, ooh. But uh, Jan and I are 16, almost 17 years into, the, in, into marriage. And, and uh, on our 10th anniversary, we're staying at a hotel and there was a triathlon magazine on the coffee table. And I, start, I picked it up and read it, never done. I never, I mean, I ran the radio, you know? I mean, I ran, you know, the television. I didn't run anywhere. Uh, and, and, and I said to Janet, cause she's a runner and like she get up in the morning, four in the morning, two in the morning, running marathons like crazy. I mean, just, she's put, she put a marathon in every single year for the last many, many, many years. And, and uh, I, you know, rooted her on and held a sign. I love you, you're awesome. I love these Krispy Kreme donuts. You know what I mean? It's like, that, that was my support, moral support, baby, moral support. So I say to Janet, as I'm looking at this, this magazine, I said, you know what, I would love to try and do this. She goes, she is like the most, it, it, my wife is so affirming. She's like, you got this, you can do this, you can do this. And she's probably walking around, he'll never do that. But, but, but he's like, you got this. I said, well, why don't we start running tomorrow? She goes, are you sure? I said, yeah, let's do it. We happen to be, for our 10th anniversary, we have to be in Maui and we're on the ocean. You couldn't, you couldn't ask for a better place to start. We get out on the path, the, the jogging path next to the ocean. About 20 seconds in. <laughs> and I'm following, Janet's like, I'll run with you. I'll run with you, liar. You know, every time she runs, she puts this little ponytail and, and, and you know, she gets this little ponytail. And when she's running, her ponytail's dip, 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 dip. And she's like, so excited when she runs. It's so great. And God is so good. Oh, thank you for the weather today. <laughs> flip, 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 flip. And that little flip, flip, flip is like Chinese water torture behind. You're doing great, baby. Shut up. <laughs> just want to grab that, you know, just grab the ponytail. Wow. <laughs> It took some time, it, 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 it took several months of training. It took consistency, slow and steady. I wasn't ready for the next day, but you know what? After some time, I, I could swim the 1.2. I could bike the 56, I could run the half. And I said, I've done two half marathons and a couple or, or two half Ironmans. And yeah, I'm, I'm a half Ironman, not a full Ironman, half Ironman. And, 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 and Janice, it just takes time and consistency and you gotta get the reps in. You can't go to Planet Fitness today and spend all day and tomorrow walk out like Schwarzenegger, okay? You're not gonna spend all day at Planet Fitness and walk out and, and somebody say, whoa, dude, whoa, gains. No, you're gonna let, you, you look exhausted. That's it, that's all they're gonna say. <laughs> Wisdom develops on the slow and steady pathway. Number two, the choices you make every day turn you into a wise or foolish person. It's not this seminar that you go to. It's not this sermon that you hear. It's not just that one chapter you read. It, it is the choices you make every day that turn you into a wise or foolish person. Last week, we broke down the simple person, the, the, the foolish person and the mocker, the simple, they don't know what they don't know. 
They care way too much about what other people think. The foolish, they know and they don't care. And they don't care, they, they, they don't care enough about what other people think. And the mocker, they're just critical of everybody that wants to do something right. And they'll just do something wrong just to show you up. They, 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 there's no real pull, inter, internal pull. They just, they mock what good things. Don't sit in those chairs, sit in the chair of the wise. And it happens as we walk the steady path. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity in the chapter on uh, forgiveness, in paraphrase, he says basically, every single choice you make every single day puts a, a mark on your soul. And he puts it like this, it either turns you more into those like the angels or those like the demons. Now that sounds pretty hard, but let, let me give you a, a very fresh example, okay? Let's say that you hear something and you make a choice in this. You're gonna make a choice in this. Let's say you hear something about a, a, a political candidate. And I know you guys probably haven't thought anything about politics over the last six months. And, um, but let's say a Republican or Democrat doesn't matter. Um, people that are different than you, okay? The other camp, the other camp. You hear breaking news, breaking news, right? And it says the candidate that you're against Okay. was caught, you know, either saying things that were inappropriate or erasing things that shouldn't have been erased. Either way, okay. And there's more to it. There's this new scandal. And they talk about, your, they talk about the opponent to your candidate. And it's, it's breaking news and like, oh, this is gonna crush them. This is it, this is it, this is it. But then three days later, three days later, you find out that the breaking news was false. It wasn't true. In that moment, you and I have a choice. The first choice is this. Oh, well, they're not as bad as I thought they were. Okay. Hmm. Or the second choice is, I don't care what the media says, or I don't care what they say. I don't like them anyway. I don't like them anyway. That is a little choice made every day. That if something is true, and I'm not talking about the media that can get it twisted, <laughs> but I'm talking about something that was spoken as true and it is proven false. And you still say, I don't care. I don't like those people. I don't care what I don't like. That is a choice made every day that, that, that puts a mark on your soul. Oh, that all of us would respond to truth regardless of whether we agree with everything they believe in or not. Listen, we are in a time that is crazy divided, right? It is crazy divided on, on morality, on the political spectrum, on cultural standards. What truth is, is being divided. And everybody in this room, every single day, are making choices that are developing who you are, who you're becoming, wise or foolish. Now here's the progression that happens, write it down. Your little choices made about your perspective of a, of a political party, your perspective of uh, uh, a, a ethnicity, your perspective of people that are different than you, your every choice that you make about sexuality, every choice that you make about your finances, every choice you make about your business or how you conduct your affairs at work or at home, Okay, every little choice creates good or bad character. Now the word character in the Latin gives you an image. 
doesn't so much give you a definition, it gives you an image. Character is like an engraving or a, a chiseling out of marble, okay? So when you have character, it is the product of a slab of granite that's been chiseled at to create some image. Janet looks at me and says, that's a slab of granite right there. <laughs> no, Play-Doh granite, Play-Doh granite. Little choices. Little bitty choices. Where I said the truth or not on that. Whether I just fudged the numbers just a bit. Well, I wasn't cheating on my spouse, but I didn't really tell her where I really was last night because it's my life. If I wanna go to Buffalo Wild Wings and, 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 and spend a couple hours versus stay late at home or stay late at the office, it chiseled and it creates a good or a bad character. Every single little choice you make chisels down into who you're becoming. Character is not an emotion. Character is not an, emo is not an attitude. Character is that rock that is your life and slowly, and surely you are developing into somebody. And it's not because you're just saying, God, uh, make me who you want me to be. Although he can uh, chisel away at you as well. But the choices you make, the decisions, the attitudes and the emotions can develop good or bad character. Write this down. Good character then, if you're chiseling away and it's a little bitty things, like I'll lie about that, lie about that, lie about that. It's creating a negative character, a bad character in your life, a bad image, a bad engraving. And we have got to have good character to be the basis for making the big choices wisely. And so if every little bit, if every little tiny decision, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's just a date. It's just, it's just a kiss. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just, what is that gonna hurt? It's just a little white lie. It affects the basis or the foundation on making the big choices wisely. Write it down. Every choice matters. The big ones and the small ones, because here's why. The little choices are big choices in disguise. Oh, teenagers, I know you don't like, come on, mom. Come on, dad. Everybody else, whatever. You don't even understand me. You don't even know. You don't even know. It's just one, it's just one party, just one hangout. It's just this one thing. Okay, I'll say, you know what? It's just a word. I just say that word. You're chiseling away. Hey, listen, everybody, listen, listen, listen. You will never accidentally marry someone that you did not date. You will not, men, you will not stand at the altar or at the courthouse and someone walk through the door and you say, oh, who's that? I'm getting married. It's like, oh, what? Wow. It did happen in the Bible with Jacob and Leah and Rachel. I'll tell that story later. He got tricked. He got bamboozled. It was dark in the tent that night. <laughs> And he woke up and he was expecting Rachel and she was good looking and Leah, she kind of hurt, you know. <laughs> you didn't know if Leah was looking at you or looking past you. 
She's like, I love you. And you're like, where am I going? What in the world? Oh. <laughs> Every little sermon. Okay, 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 okay. You don't stand at the altar and say, oh, I didn't even know this person. No, no, no. You marry who you date. Oh, just one date. And you know what? It's just a kiss. And then it's just sex. It just felt right at the time. And now there's an attachment that is way beyond just going to Starbucks. And based on the emotions that rise there, people can begin to still chisel, not say what they want to say, or they don't break it all. Or they, and people can end up over the little bitty decisions. Nobody wakes up seven years into marriage and say, I want a divorce. Just like, Pfft. if you do, that's, there's something mentally wrong. Usually it is the little bitty choices every single day. And it's so critical to know the little choices you make in your marriage, the little choices you make in your finances, the little choices you make in your relationships, the little choices you make in trusting God will make you a wiser, foolish person. Because every little choice is a big choice in disguise. So daily choose some things. You gotta daily choose humility or pride. Every day, every day, you, your feet are gonna hit the ground and you can choose in that moment because it's not like God puts it on you. You choose humility or you choose being proud. What's it gonna be? Every single day, you can choose courage or cowardice. Courage is the character trait, the virtue that activates all the other virtues. It takes courage to live modest, in, in modesty. It takes courage to live in purity. It takes courage uh, to, to, to live uh, the way that God has called you to live. And you make a choice every day, courage or cowardice to stand strong in what you know to be true based on the word of God as the moral compass for the decisions you make or to power down against the pressure of popular opinion. Courage or cowardice. Courage is the, it, 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 your God-given potential hinges on your level of courage to face everyday life. And it's a daily choice. Grace and forgiveness or anger and resentment. And when you start, look, when you start looking at your life based through your emotion of pride, it gives you a lack of competence based on the realities of life. You're actually seeing things based on your pride versus the reality of life. You're basing things based on your cowardice. I, I don't want to say that. I can't do that. I'm not going to, I'm afraid of what they might say. And that affects the true realities of life. Your grace and forgiveness, understanding, oh, that God forgave and gave you grace first. But if you're living in anger and resentment, it's gonna distort the way a spoon is distorted as you see it through the image of water in a glass. It jades it. Everything you face in life, if you're not daily choosing the wise path, the slow and steady path of wisdom, it will jade the way you look at sexuality. It will jade the way you look at healthy marriage. It will jade the way you look at honesty and truthfulness. It's a chiseling every single day. You still with me? That's the path where wisdom is developed. The second is the vehicles on the path. The vehicles on the path. 
So the first one is this, knowing God. That is a vehicle that you've got to step into, everybody. You got to know deeply God. What does this look like? Verse, uh, chapter, uh, verse three on chapter three. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. That sounds like a Hallmark card, doesn't it? Happy anniversary. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. I mean, it sounds like you just, you just, you know, gave it to, you know, they just opened it up. They just want the cash inside, okay? But when you see love and faithfulness, you have to understand the real context of what that means. You have to understand the original, the original language. When we think love and faithfulness never leave you, it's something that we're doing. We're loving, we're faithful, and let those things that we're doing never leave us. But when you look at the Greek and you see the word kasev, you understand that love, the love, kasev there, represents this thought. God's covenant relationship with you. Love and faithfulness means let God's unconditional covenant relationship with you, let that never leave you. His promise to you, his love for you, his love for you. Bind that around your neck. Not that you just love in people, bind around your neck his love for you, his love for people. Write it on the tablet of your heart. Basically, we're saying this, write it down. Be absolutely convinced of his unconditional, gracious love for who you are. Does that mean that he accepts every dirty junk in your life? He accepts you despite it. And he embraces you to wanna give you a clean path to make you new. When I was talking about the chiseling, you create yourself something. The beautiful thing is God is the creator God and he can take your piece of granite that's been whittled down to nothing, been whittled down to disappointment. The Bible says he makes all things new. He can give you a new start. He can give you a fresh start. And you've gotta be absolutely convinced of that covenant relationship he has with you. You gotta be absolutely convinced of his faithfulness, absolutely convinced of his graciousness, absolutely, I mean, bind it on your, bind it on your heart and around your, your neck. We're not just talking about wearing a Christian t-shirt, everybody. It's gotta be, you just gotta know it. And you know, you know what? It's easy for you to forget it. It's easy for you to forget it. You know how you tie little, you know, strings around your finger to remember what you, you know, something you don't wanna forget? It's the image of tie this stuff around. Don't forget his, he, he is for you. Your life, if you truly knew that he was for you and not against you, it would give you a poise. It would give, it would give you a, a quiet anvil strength that no matter what you were faced, he's for me. He's for me. And because I fear him, just because he's for me doesn't mean I'm gonna live however I wanna live. Because the beginning of wisdom is the, is, the, is the reverence and respect of the Lord. And then you couple that with he's for you. Whew, that's an awesome combination for living a wise life. Daily practice being convinced. On Wednesday, Pastor Talia gave us the all-in pregame. All-in is a sermon series that I'm gonna start Super Bowl Sunday. And I believe it is one of the most important, if not the most important sermon series that I've given since I've been your pastor. 
because it is going to be um, the diving board into our next 10 years of vision at Timber Creek Church. And to have the, the pregame, that's getting us all prepared for what God wants to speak to us in February. Pastor Talia talked about prayer. You cannot know God without praying. You just can't. You can't truly know, be knowing God without reading your word, reading his word, the Bible. About spending time with him. Spending quiet time with Jesus. You just can't know him deeply without spending time with him. And the all in pregame prayer last week, fasting this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in the chapel. We're gonna talk about what fasting looks like in your life. Knowing God involves sacrifice. And then on the final week, January 25th, on Wednesday at 7 p.m. in the chapel, I'm gonna give my most requested sermon I've preached in the last two years. And it's why we can trust the Bible. Why we truly can trust the Bible. And so I want you to be a part of the pregame in knowing God. Let me keep moving though. Number two, not only are we knowing God, but we gotta be trusting God. We saw the scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do what? Lean not on your own understanding. Man, if I was tired and I tried to put all my body weight on this mic stand and I tried to lean, hey, how you do, you know? Ugh. That's leaning on my own understanding. That's, that's the strength of my own understanding. If I'm gonna truly lean on his understanding, I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm leaning on something solid and stable. It's not gonna be moved. No matter how hard I press, no matter what comes my way, no matter the kind of the wind and the rain and the trouble, the circumstances, if I lean not on my own understanding and in all my ways, and I actually lean on him, that's the place to, to, to put our lean. You gotta lean in on Jesus. You gotta lean in and that requires trust. You got to trust that when you lean, he's not going to go, whoa, way easy. Like I was like thinking maybe this, like this, you know, little bit of space in our, in our relationship. No, he says, lean in, lean in, trust me in this. It is very possible to deeply believe in God and still give the functional trust of your heart to something completely different. You believe in God, sure. You know him, sure. You read your Bible. You obey the 10 commandments. You, you read scripture, you go to church. But when the rubber meets the road, do you really trust him or do you trust your career? Do, do you really trust him or do you trust the employer for your resource? When, when, when it really boils down, do you trust more your identity based on what mom and dad didn't say or did say than you do what God, the creator of the cosmos did say about you, who you are, who you can be in him? Or do you trust what happened to define who you are? Do you trust those words that were spoken negatively over you more it's very, very difficult to really truly trust God until all those other things have been stripped away and how quickly we can find when we do wake up and stuff has happened and tragedy struck and, and, and life is hurting and we've lost the job. I know some of you, uh, you, you, you may have been going over the last few months through a, a job change, job, job transition by your own choice or the choice of someone else. And when that takes place, 
things can go crazy. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust him in those moments. Submitting to his word is number three. You're gonna know him, that's a vehicle, trusting him and submitting to his word. Submit to yield, to surrender to, to palms up with God on this thing. His word, his, his breath to us, his direction to us. Can you truly submit to his word? The Bible says, in all your ways, all your ways, all your ways, submit to him. Now, there are two ways to do that. There's, you know, like we heard, there's an easy way. We can do this the easy way or the hard way, okay? It's like the simple way or the complex way. Let me give you a simple way to submit to him, all right? Here's a simple way to submit to him. Let's say you're married and you're considering an extramarital affair. Not, you know, there's an option. You, you have an option, not just considering it. Well, I wonder what it'd be like, there's an option now. And you, you are having to decide what, what am I gonna do with this opportunity, okay? And you're thinking through, what would this mean? What would that happen? What if I, okay, how can I cover it up? How can I not get caught? You're going through, and most of the time, people don't make like a decision-making matrix on an extramarital affair. You know, well, then let's go to the pros and cons. It's just like feelings are like, woo, woo. You're like, you just, you know, jump into some stupid decisions, okay? Well, you don't have to make a decision-making matrix. The word of God has made it very clear. He whittles it down. There's a simple way. No! Don't do it! Uh-uh. You made a promise. You got a covenant relationship with that spouse. Back up the truck. No! Uh-uh. Cancel the date. You don't have to say, oh, but Lord, you know... I just don't understand. I'm not feeling the love in my relationship here. I'm not feeling validated. I don't understand. Lean not on your own understanding. I know, I know, I don't know, I don't know. But God, no. What about, no. No. But then there are other choices in life that aren't as clear, as black and white. And that's the more complex deal. That's the more complex situation. Uh, Catholic philosopher, Alistair, uh, and I forget his last name escapes me, but um, in his book, After Virtue, he gives this illustration. I'm gonna paraphrase it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, East Texify it just a, just a touch. But, but uh, he gives this illustration about the complex understanding uh, in that when we're faced with certain dilemmas, we wanna give everything a story. Okay, let me, let, me pack, let me unpack that. So let's say you're standing in Chick-fil-A, okay? You're in line for Chick-fil-A, getting your lunch, couple people in front of you, couple people behind you, and some guy out of the blue walks up to you. You don't know who they are, and they say to you, hey, the Latin word, the Latin name for the, the common wild duck is histrionicus histrionicus. And then they walk off. And you're like, okay, does that make any sense at all? No. And as creatures, we, as, as God's people, as, as, as people on a journey, we want to make sense of everything. We want to make sense of stuff. We want to give it a story. 
And so there could be a few stories that you might give this guy in Chick-fil-A. The first one's kind of a sad one, but it could be true, right? It could be that he's mentally ill and he's just walking up to everybody going, histrionicus, histrionicus, right? That, that's a possibility in the culture we live in, right? Another story that you could give it is, is maybe, maybe, maybe this guy was at the library a few days ago and he was looking for a book on ducks and you look a lot like the librarian and you were helping him. And so he walks to you like he thinks you're the librarian. He's like, histrionicus, histrionicus. And he's expecting you to go, oh, but you say, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Hey. What else? He's a spy. And it's your code word. He thinks you look like James Bond. And he says, histrionicus, histrionicus. And you're supposed to give him the film, you know, of who shot JFK. We want to give everything a story. So Sally gave you a cold shoulder in the break room at work. Now you gave it a cold shoulder because you're giving it a story. You said, hey, Sally, and, and she didn't say anything to you. What's the story? Oh, she's upset because of that Christmas gift exchange. I took that Bed Bath & Beyond gift certificate from her. I knew she was sour about that and now she's ignoring me. How many people do that, huh? That's the reality. That's the reality. We had, a, we had a sign out here on the chapel years ago outside on the brick and it said, Entrada aquí, enter here. And this is when our Spanish ministry was, was meeting in the chapel. And uh, after a service, one of, their peop, one, one of the uh, uh, attendees of the Spanish service came and, and got me and brought me over to the sign. And there's a big scratch down the middle of the sign. He said, I, don't, I think somebody doesn't want us here. It's like scratching it out. And I said, actually, the maintenance team was moving in a big ladder. And they, they, the top of the ladder got that, that sign and they scratched it. Do you hear how quickly things, you give something a reality? Listen now, listen, listen, listen. You can do that with everything in your life. God wants you to live in the right reality. Write this down. Every part of life looks different when you see it through the right story. And his word is his story to us. If you look at your sexuality through cultural lens, that will affect the story you're sharing. If you look at happiness with this story in mind, that, hey, YOLO, one, you only live once. That's what that stands for. Somebody asked me the other day, what does YOLO mean? YOLO, you only live once. Enjoy it up. Live it up. You got one life, baby. Whatever feels good, get it. Do it. Unleash it. Have fun at it. That's happiness. That's happiness. Get it, contain it, hold it, hoard it, you name it, that's happiness. Whatever feels right, roll. But if you re-narrate the story that God made you for his pleasure and gave you a choice to live for him or for yourself, 
And you can either humble yourself and let him be God, or you can daily choose pride and you be your own God. That defines the story you're living, your money. Hey, whatever, what, whatever you wanna own, like I said, you can't take it with you. Ain't no hearses with a, you know, with a U-Haul trailer on the back, okay? Well, if you understand the story that everything you have is God's, it's not even yours. And you're a trustee, you're, you're like a manager and everything you have, even, it's not even yours, it's his. And what he wants you to do is be faithful to his kingdom first. If you understand that story, it re-narrates your life. Your life, if you understand, is not just your own, but it is a gift to him. If you understand joy is not in just what you feel, it's trusting him and him being your strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It will, it will re, it'll shift your life like crazy, teenagers. It'll shift your life like crazy, couples. If you say it's not about my spouse meeting every single one of my needs, but it's, it's me and Jesus having deep relationship and knowing that it is out of the abundance of Christ, not out of the abundance of my spouse, where I find my value, identity, significance, and hope. And if I can understand that he's called me to be a servant, if I can narrate my story to his story, all of a sudden life looks a lot different. And some of you listen to me now, lean in. You've been living on the wrong story. You, you, you've been living based on a story someone told you and that story isn't the story of Jesus and his unconditional gracious love and hope and plan for redemption for your life. Get off that story. Choose his story, his. It'll change everything in your life. You still with me? Number four, living in community. We're almost done. Living in community. So we're knowing God, trusting him, submitting to him. And then the Bible said in, in, in our scripture reading today, do not be wise in your own eyes. A fool only sees from their perspective. They don't see what anybody else does, what anybody else says. And we live in a culture that's saying, be yourself. Who cares what anybody else thinks? Whatever you feel. You just do it, enjoy it, live it. It's about your life. And that's why you hear some people say, it's my life. I'll live it how I want to live it, mom, dad. It's my life. You don't understand. You don't understand, mom and dad. Well, write this down. It is your life. But you can't see it. You cannot see what you need to see in and of yourself. And you see this guy and he's handsome and he's chiseled and he looks good in that t-shirt. Okay, so he's been a little rough with you a time or two. And your friends are saying, what are you doing? This is just like your ex-boyfriend. You're like, you don't understand him you're not seeing through other people's eyes. All you see is what you see. And that's a pathway that is a very limited perspective. I can see things, <laughs> I've seen things, I've seen crazy things. Especially in Malawi when I was preaching, I saw all kinds of things like 
at one time, seven mothers like nursing with no strings attached right here on the front row. You're trying to preach and they're, <laughs> they think I'm praying for them. I'm just trying to. <laughs> it's your life. You can't see it. You ever heard yourself on a recording? You're like, that's not my voice, is it? Do I really sound like that? And everybody else says, yes, you sound exactly like that. But you don't sound like that in your own ears, but everybody else hears you differently. That's wisdom. When you can allow yourself to be surrounded by people that have your God-given best potential in mind. Listen, you, have, you hang out with fools, you're, you're a fool yourself. You can be wise, but it is a, it's your companions that can bring destruction on your life. You can be smart and read the Bible and you hang out with the wrong people and you're gonna be right along with them. Four words that'll, 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 that'll develop wisdom in your life and four words that will crush your life. I had these friends. It'll either build you up or tear you down. And we're gonna live in community together as Christ followers. That's why it's so important. Be surrounded with people. Students, when you say, I love Jesus and they don't, but I'm gonna date them until they get saved. Hmm. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. Don't do that. Don't do that. Be friends. Love them. Like I said earlier, you're, you're, you, you will never accidentally marry someone. Huh? You gotta be careful. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Wisdom helps me see my life through other eyes. I see a perspective. You can only see a limited perspective, but I can't see what you see and you can't see what I see. But when we get together in community and we can see there's a, a beautiful perspective that comes. The scripture's full of these statements. Pain, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Where there is strife, there's pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. A wise man will hear and increase in learning and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. That's part of why we do groups is to live in community with people that are out trying to make wise little choices every single day so they have the character whereon they can make the big decisions wisely. And on February 5th, we'll launch a group of 80 plus groups across our, our county and, and region. And I invite you, be a part of a community from fun-loving communities that they just run together and others that they play bunko together and others that they just barbecue together and others they go through a, a, a passage of scripture together and others they, they, they quilt together. Whatever it is, just be in community so you're not wise in your own eyes. So that you have a, a, a foundation where you can, you can ask some good questions and get godly counsel and wisdom. Finally, What's the catalyst for wisdom? It like, it's like your five hour energy for wisdom. It is your octane. It, 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 brings, it brings octane to your engine 10 times the normal rate. What's that catalyst? We get it in this scripture. My son, don't despise the Lord's, what? Uh-oh, wait a second. All this was all fun in for a second and now we're getting like serious. Do not resent his, what? Rebuke? <clears throat> Does it get hot in here? Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. 
This gives you a word picture, an image of God our Father as a father that has to discipline his child. And if you've ever had to discipline a child, there's multiple ways to do it. But really it's about bringing a certain amount of limited pain or removing certain things. When a child is grounded or a child is spanked, there is this discipline when you say, no, you can't go. No, you can't drive. No, you, you're, you're not going to do that because of this. It, it, there's, there's, a, there's trouble that comes. There's a, that's a pain. And, and, and Father God is saying, you're like a son that I delight in, but I also have to discipline. Oh, I love my children. I love them. But I've had to rebuke them. I've had to discipline them. I've had to bring some limited pain in their life for them to understand. I don't want to do that again. Not because of a fear of me, but of the right fear. The right, the right healthy fear. So we just read a whole scripture passage in Proverbs 3 and you heard all these things. I read a piece and you read a piece, right? Remember? We basically read, do this and this, and this will happen. Do this and this, and here's what we read. Verse one and two, do this and this, peace and prosperity will be in your life. Do this and this, verse three and four, favor and a good name. Do this and this for five and six, and you're gonna have straight paths. Do this and this for seven and eight, health and nourishment. Could you ask for a better, like, report? Hey, I'm here to announce, you know, as your doctor, you've got peace and prosperity, favor and straight paths and health and nourishment. Woo! That's a good deal. But here's the, here's the reality of life. You can do everything right and your life can still blow up. You can do everything right and still have trouble in your life, still have pain in your life, still have suffering in your life. And if you think otherwise, you are not dealing with the competence in regards to the realities of life. Just because someone goes through a tough, tough issue, it's not always because they did something. It's because it rains on good people and bad people, on wise people and fools. Listen, Jesus says, if you do what I say, it's like you build a house on a rock and you never face any kind of trouble at all. Is that what the Bible says? No, 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 no. It says, when the rain comes, your house doesn't falter. It doesn't say the rain's never gonna come. It says you're gonna be strong through the rain. So what is the catalyst for wisdom? What can supercharge your wisdom? Trouble. Trouble is the catalyst. Pain is the catalyst. And it seems so counterintuitive especially in Western civilization, because we think life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness should all be about everything feeling good. But how many of you know some of the best life lessons you ever learned were in the pain lessons, right? Okay, so the Lord is a loving father. And the world will mock this. They'll say, if God is so good, why do people go through pain? Because it's a wonderful catalyst that will either push you over to, to, to pride and arrogance and resentment and anger, or it will deepen your knowing and trusting and submitting 
the choice is yours. The key to gaining wisdom through trouble is being absolutely certain that he delights in you. Not just a father that likes to spank you or discipline you or give you a rebuke. He delights in you. How can we know though? How can we know that he truly delights in us? Everybody, we're almost done. So you got to get this last part. Listen close. How can you be sure? How can you be sure? How can you make that suffering or the pain or the trouble truly develop wisdom and not develop bitterness? How can you do it? But we go to Hebrews chapter 12 and we read about Jesus himself and we do this. We know he delights and we are absolutely certain. We do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him he endured the cross he went to the cross disregarding its shame all throughout scripture God splits heaven open and Jesus is being baptized and the, the, the Holy Spirit like a dove wasn't a dove but like a dove he, the voice of God speaks this is my son all throughout scripture, Jesus refers to God as his father. All throughout scripture, I, I only do what I see my father doing. Or if you trust my father, you can know this. He moves on to say, they say, how, do, how should we pray? When you pray, say our father. When he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, uh, he says father, take this cup from me. There's a father-son relationship. Isn't it interesting that on the cross, he raises his head to heaven and he says, my God, my God. And it moves from Father to God. Because there was just a shame in the cross that he took on himself so you didn't have to be shamed on the cross. And for his joy to be complete, that is for you and I to be sons and daughters of God. Jesus took the place of you, disregarding that shame, and in our place, he sacrificed, he paid the price. What, oh my goodness, it cost him so much. So how can you know he delights in you? How can you know that, that God truly, he's not mad at you, but he delights in you? You have to see what he did for you. You have to see that he took the cross for you that he isn't just a God that demands you go through pain for him, but he's a God that goes through pain for us. And if you can see your trouble and you can see the little chiseling decisions you make every day and you can relate to your suffering in that way, it'll be like your trouble is to your heart the same way fire relates to gold, it'll purify you. The way that pressure relates to diamonds, it'll make something out of you. And when all hell breaks loose, because it did against Jesus, you will have walked the steady pathway of life, growing into the character good, characterful kind of person God has called you to be. One step 
one decision, one choice at a time. Let's pray. Father, we need wisdom. <laughs> Actually, Lord, <laughs> we, need, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus, if we chase after you, if we search after you, if we long after you, if we, if we tremble in your presence, if we, if we long to be close to you, if we submit to your ways and lean not on, your, on our own understanding, we will receive wisdom. And so God, we're not after wisdom today, we're after you today. And if we continue to search and seek after you, you will make our paths straight. With all your eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus to be the savior of your life, the center of your life, there's no amount of fixing your mistakes that are gonna fix you, gonna save you. you. You don't need to just fix mistakes, you need a savior because you can't fix sin. Only he can take it away. And he's already done it. You just have to believe it and accept it. If you're here today, and maybe it's the first time ever or the first time in a long time, you want to ask Jesus to be the savior of your life. Meaning that I, I, I am embracing what he's done on the cross. And I am going to live after his convictions, his conduct, his character. Not claiming a life of perfection this moment forward but claiming a life surrendered to his direction moving forward. If that's you, you don't have, I'm not gonna embarrass you, you don't have to do it, but you do need to make a decision today. If that's you and you say, I wanna ask Jesus to be the savior of my life. Right now, would you just shoot a hand straight up in the air? I need Jesus to be my savior. Shoot it in the air. We'll take just a moment. Several hands all across the room, thank you. I see lots of hands. Yeah, thanks guys. I see you in the back, sir. I see you, miss. I see you. I see you, sir. I see you, ma'am. God sees you. In your own words, you would simply say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are, the son of the living God. And I ask you to give me a straight path. I choose to trust you. I believe that you not only died, but rose again, and you are still alive. And I take myself off the throne of my life, and I place you as the savior and ruler of my life. I don't know what to do next. Will you help me? Will you guide me? Thank you for not being mad at me, but for delighting in me. Some of you, would you be honest? And would you say, you know, I think my functional trust has been more in some stuff of the earth than in him. If that's you, maybe raise a hand. I want to pray for you. I, I think I have to put my hand up too. Yeah. Yeah, me too. How many of you say, God is calling me to know him more deeply, to truly know him? Would you raise a hand? I don't need to know him more deeply. You can put your hand down. You say, you know what? I've got character that's been chiseled into some negative stuff and I want Jesus to recreate, to give me a fresh start in some of my character. Is that you? Would you raise a hand? God, there's so many hands on so many issues. We thank you that you're not mad but you delight in us. And you are not here to, to, to look at us with arms crossed, tapping your toe, saying it's about time. But you are with arms wide open, eyes of love and hope and forgiveness and redemption. You're saying, oh, thank you for your honesty. Let's do this together. 
because you've promised you will never leave us or forsake us. <laughs> and we thank you in the name of Jesus. All God's people said amen. Let's put our hands together.